Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Is it right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Let's go again. Perfect. COVID-19 is the biggest pandemic facing humanity in more than a century. One year in, and we are still looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. Models and data have played a very crucial role in this response. In this special podcast series, we'll be talking to our fellow researchers from NSAC at the Biocomplexity Institute, University of Virginia. The team has been tirelessly supporting COVID-19 response in the U.S. at the local, state, and federal levels. And in this episode, we'll be talking to Drs. Abhijanadiga, S.S. Ravi, and Anil Ulikanti about building models that we can trust. Hi, I'm Srini Venkatramanan. And I'm Erin Raymond. Let's go talk to the COVID chaser. Hi, my, my name is Ravi. Uh, I've been with this group for about four years now. Uh, my training is in computer science and in particular algorithms. Okay, Although I don't play a direct role in, in the epidemic response, I worked on research problems in contagion dynamics and forecasting. Hi, everyone. I'm Abhijin Adiga. I'm a research faculty at uh, NSAC, um, Biocomplex Institute. Uh, my research areas are combinatorics, design and analysis of algorithms, uh, modeling, algorithmic game theory, and uh, very recently I have also started with machine learning. Um, for the past few years, my main focus has been the study of uh, propagation processes over networks, uh, which is also referred to as network dynamics. Um, my interests lie in not only the theoretical foundations of such process, but also in applying them to complex phenomena such as uh, invasive species spread, infectious diseases, and so on. And I have been with this uh, group for uh, almost 10 years now. Hi, my name is Anil Vallikanti. Uh, I've been with this group for uh, a long time. Uh, I'm jointly uh, in the uh, computer science department uh, along with the Biocomplexity Institute. So I work on uh, network science and epidemiology and optimization and algorithms. One one aspect that uh, we want to touch upon is like, I think for the ongoing COVID response, uh, there's been a lot of talks about models and data and uh, AI, deep learning is the keyword everywhere. And also, uh, uh, I think people have uh, realized how these play a, maybe a disproportionate role in sometimes policy making, and sometimes uh, it's not very clear why models do some things and not the other things. And maybe you can just talk talk to us about like, I mean, how do you think about models and how do you think about uh, uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning in general? And especially when you bring it to applied decision making. Sure, I'll, I'll start. See, but unfortunately, I don't design models. So somebody gives me a model and says, analyze this. So my role has been largely, okay, how, I mean, is this model, uh, you know, uh, does it provide a decent representation of the phenomenon it is supposed to capture? And, you know, if I want to use this model for doing certain things, for example, uh, will the epidemic ever reach a certain state where, let's say, 75% of the people are infected? Okay, these are like the reachability problems that you can, you know, study theoretically. So my, my focus has not been on designing new models, but much more on uh, in the uh, you know analyzing given models and then uh, seeing whether they are capturing the phenomena that they're supposed to or not. Um, you know, I, uh, I I don't know much about deep learning. I've, I've been trying to do some reading on it, uh, but I, I should confess that I'm surprised that it is so effective. Okay, I don't understand why it does so well. Uh, in fact, one of the uh, small projects that I have funded by NSF is to understand uh, so, the so-called interpret- interpretability of models. 
and uh, I'm, I'm focusing mostly on the uh, um, uh, unsupervised uh, learning, like clustering and so on. Um, even there, things seem pretty challenging. Okay, why did the algorithm make the decision to put these two points in the same cluster? Okay, and why did it sort of separate these things out? Okay, why are these things being classified as are, are, are regarded as outliers, whereas they pretty much seem to belong in, in the you know the right cluster and so on? It, 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 yes, I, I, uh, the algorithms make decisions, and uh, it seems hard to understand exactly uh, what, what's going on. Okay, so I'm quite puzzled about this. I mean, I, I you know, I, I hope we get a good understanding of why deep learning things or other kinds of learning models actually work. So at a, at a very high level, and this is uh, speaking about um, AI in general, which includes um, modern machine learning techniques like deep learning, uh, as well as old machine learning techniques uh, and um, mechanistic models like agent-based models and so on. So I'll talk to all of them. In general, I'm talking about models. Uh, I, uh, I too agree that uh, there is this recent conversation on uh, we relying disproportionately on such models. Uh, but my take on this is uh, we, in the past, we have not been relying enough on models. I think the way to look at this is we have never had enough data and uh, therefore enough understanding of processes uh, to uh, leverage um, computational methods and also uh, there, there are these computational challenges, computing challenges uh, and all of these are slowly being overcome now and this provides exciting opportunities to rely more and more on uh, models and, and therefore make uh, informed decisions, which I, I believe is necessary. So in short, I feel um, we had to be relying on uh, such uh, models in the, in the first place. I think I have read too many Isaac Asimov uh, uh, <laughs> stories to <laughs> come to this conclusion, but I am I'm, uh, really for uh, models and their use. Yeah, so I guess one thing which is different um, with COVID uh, is like uh, traditionally epidemiology has not been like a big data kind of setting compared to the other uh, normal big data uh, applications. Uh, uh, it's been different in the case of uh, COVID-19 with lots of uh, data suddenly becoming available. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, since there are uh, uh, so many uh, uh, like differences uh, uh, from uh, like physical systems. So because of behaviors and uncertainty and everything else, uh, it's still um, like using them uh, is still a challenge and, and will take a long time, I guess, to get uh, figured out. Yeah, and especially I think like talking to the more uh, the, the utility aspect of it, I think like uh, that's what we were touching upon in, in some sense, like more than uh, improving the model's fidelity or the uh, validation, like uh, connecting it to the actual policy on the ground or like in terms of responding to uh, modeling requests or something. Uh, and I think it's a, it's, an, it's an ongoing challenge, but uh, wanted to see like how, how do you think about that entire uh, enterprise, yeah. I mean, in, in public health, especially, that's uh, uh, policy connection has always been hard. Uh, and uh, now I feel it has become even harder uh, uh, 
because uh, of uh, like a huge amount of uncertainty um, in uh, like uh, even the models like what factors should go in um, and what their role is seems to be uh, quite hard uh, the the models uh, uh, like co-evolve with uh, behaviors uh, which is different for epidemics compared to other uh, uh, settings so uh, i guess policy in in the case of uh, if, like in, in public health seems to be much harder question than all other kinds of uh, uh, domains before now, one of the interesting things that i find is that you know there are so many models that different units are using i mean for, for example i would read something in new york times i would read something else in washington post and so on okay all of these people are, are combining the results from various models but they end up getting different results okay uh, uh, are are the techniques not uh, okay for example one person would say uh, you know it is enough if 56% of the people are vaccinated to get herd immunity okay somebody else will have a thing saying no no it is actually 85% or something okay uh, uh, are, are the techniques so different that uh, that we are getting uh, you know such huge differences between the uh, results produced by models uh, Uh, you know, or, or maybe you know. I, I I thought there are standard techniques like what what you guys use, namely the model averaging, Bayesian model averaging. I thought you know, if all of these people have results from the same set of models, these results should be fairly consistent, um, right? So, but it seems as though things are uh, you know there is a lot of uh, a fair amount of inconsistency, a fair amount of uh, a number of differences between these models. Um, Okay, what is the public going to think, right? If if somebody reads both New York Times and Washington Post, they don't know what to believe. Yeah, I think that's true for not just models, but that's part of the reason why we wanted to have this conversation because that's 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 something that people have a general distrust of, like such uh, complicated things behind within a black box. And uh, I think uh, AI world has faced it in terms of algorithmic bias or the bias in the data that sample. but also when you come to even things like epidemic modeling there is the small assumptions that we make and then uh, uh, the way we parameterize some things uh, or even the uh, sometimes even the, the packages that we use to run these like the, the way the code is built uh, they might start diverging in small aspects and then they uh, compound on top of each other and uh, there is there's a lot of effort across different research groups to build uh, these ensembles of different model approaches and what they find is even if you ask them to rank among like if there are like five different interventions and you want to say like which is the best one to do right now they might sometimes agree on the order but the differential impact would be very different so, uh, so i think like that's that's an ongoing challenge i think uh, and maybe we can segue into the next question that i had at least uh, is this something that can be fixed in the data or is it in the building of the more complex models or is it more in just the communication aspect and each of this will require different kind of approaches and different kind of stakeholders to participate and usually like we modelers go off i mean get the questions go off to our desk or whiteboards and build the models <laughs> and then bring the solutions maybe i don't know if that's that needs to change or something i said one of the things that you see is that in many universities people who are not epidemiologists are suddenly getting into this modeling thing and saying i have a model for covid i have right so every university seems to have a different model <laughs> so like i don't know uh, like uh, uh, they get publicity uh, you know each of the universities posts a message about oh this model was discussed in this particular outlet or, or something like that so mm-hmm. um 
right? I, I, I'm just worried about the pro- proliferation of models and. Okay, uh, yeah, I think someone put it as democratization oh, of models. <laughs> yeah, so I <laughs> think anyone can run SIR models right now, and uh, yeah. We know the problems with democracy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Abhijan, you mentioned that now you feel like we have enough data, right, to really make use of of the models. We have a good amount of data. But do we have too much data? I always hear that. There's so much data that we can't possibly use it all. And it's noisy, right? It's full of random stuff that we don't necessarily need. Uh, there are two questions, in fact. Do we have too much data? And what about the noise in the data? So uh, my feeling is that we don't have enough data yet to worry about uh, whether we have too much data and what we do with it. Um, and the second uh, uh, thing is, um, uh, yes, this noisy data is always going to be a problem and we will have to um, uh, do uncertainty analysis and so on. Um, uh, this will be more of a modeling and uh, analysis question. So like uh, to the point you were saying about uh, uh, these issues and the broader AIML, uh, like there has been, uh, people have talked about it as the replication crisis, right? Uh, so not just in, uh, uh, I mean, even statistical uh, methods based on uh, like sim- like uh, 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 standard statistical uh, 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 analysis also uh, there are doubts about uh, uh, many studies uh, from uh, uh, like clinical kinds of studies and, and so on so there's a problem uh, like replication uh, uh, has been a problem um, even <clears throat> when it's a, a much smaller problem much more controlled um, so in some ways it's not surprising that uh, like uh, all of that uh, uh, is uh, just amplified in the case of uh, public health, uh, where the it's not controlled at all, and there's uh, too many factors we don't know, and so on. So in the industry, uh, there um, is a lot of uh, importance given to this replication. Uh, they have these regression tests uh, built into any software uh, uh, development. But I think. Uh, the rigor of uh, uh, the industry should get into the academics as well. This is one way to mitigate this problem. It won't solve this problem. It will only address one aspect. Of it. Yeah, I think uh, building long-lasting infrastructure while sitting in a, inside an academic environment has its own challenges. Uh, so just re- starting from funding to people and the changing needs of both the researchers and the people who use the tools. So it's not like, uh, I mean, some of these might be under the hood, but sometimes you don't have the people who uh, have that uh, history. And yeah, but I, but I agree that the, 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 the lines between academia, industry, and even federal agencies, which do some of these analytics, it's, it's, it's increasingly blurred. But uh, some of the historical ways of how they've approached these problems still persist. So that's why like when you put out models, like there's a model from Facebook, but there's also a model from a different university and a an analytic group and you don't know how to evaluate them differently. Okay, in addition to public health, it seems as though some of these things are being used in like criminal justice. Okay, I remember reading one of the New York Times articles some time ago where uh, a judge or somebody decided to use uh, a, a neural networks based algorithm to decide what the sentencing for a, the same. It, it turned out 
okay, that th this network had learned some biases, but because I think too many people connected for, for that particular crime turned out to be African Americans and so on. So, right. So they're noticing that these things are being used. Uh, some somehow, I'm just worried about uh, some of these things being used without people understanding the consequences. Okay, there is this fairness issue that that comes in. Right? Uh, so some of the decisions may be highly unfair because the neural network says that the right amount of punishment for this is six years, okay? uh, but uh, it has some inherent biases that it has learned because of the data. Okay? So uh, again, my, my worry is that uh, in addition to public health, there are other domains also okay, where uh, these things are being increasingly used and, and one should be very cautious. Okay? Uh, I, I think in, in fact, I think uh, uh, the, the lawyers representing this person were gonna appeal Okay, so saying that uh, this judge is using this particular neural networks based algorithm and that's that's not right um, because it is biased that that particular algorithm is biased uh, especially if you have an appeal against a person you it's one thing but like if you appeal against an algorithm is it the software developer or is it the person who wrote the python package which that software developer used or it, it could go all the way down to like person who collected the data on the ground and uh, so the the it, there is a moral hazard in like who's responsible for correcting these biases and uh, and I think uh, the other aspect is like uh, these disasters and epidemics are all some some form of amplifiers of disparities because they tend to uh, affect the disproportionately people who are already uh, uh, disadvantaged and therefore uh, algorithms and models should not uh, add to that bias. Right. Yeah. So um, as you all look back over the last year, what do you think were some of your highs and maybe some of your lows even if you had them? This could be professional or personal. Um, it could be work-life balance. It could be whatever. It could be when you um, the algorithm worked for whatever it is that you were trying to make it work for. The AI was actually intelligent and did what it was supposed to do. Um, whatever. Uh, for me, I think the, the, the high points have been uh, about hearing different problems. Okay? These are not things that I would have thought of. Okay? So, so you suddenly listen to a talk and then notice that this person is addressing a very nice combinatorial optimization problem. Uh, the low point for me has been that you know, I had to compose and send very well formatted and very well thought out email messages for everything. Right, I, I just cannot go to a colleague and say, you know, this is what I want, you know, uh, and, and then you know things are so asynchronous. I had to wait for the colleague to respond and so on. Right, it could be a, a small thing like, can we meet at five o'clock today? <laughs> right, so, so something like that. So okay, that has been my. Uh, of course, the other high point uh, for me has been uh, some of the students that I worked with okay, last year. It has been wonderful. Yeah, and how has that been? Um, you know, mentoring them online versus in person. It has not been that different for me. Uh, uh, I, I guess okay, there, there were students in, in my previous job at Albany, there were students who really needed the personal attention. But here, I think the students are smart enough that if we just give them guidelines, that they're able to produce some initial results and then they wait for your suggestions and, and improve and so on. Right. And Abhijan and Anil, you both work with students too. So I do want to know what your high and low point was, but I also want to know um, how working with students has changed for you if it's been not really a difference for in-person versus uh, online mentoring? So or what? high point has been exactly what uh, Ravi mentioned. It's nice to see so many new uh, problems, uh, computational problems that uh, uh, at least I was not uh, aware of. Uh, and many of them they were generated purely due to this first hand seeing of this uh, epidemic unfold. 
um, that is one thing uh, otherwise from a even a personal perspective low point has been missing uh, everybody uh, seeing everybody in person i think that's been a biggest problem for me even from the perspective of mentoring students i i feel that students uh, uh, at least the students that i work with um, uh, many of them they um, they ha- they don't uh, live with their parents uh, especially when this covid happened they they had to um, they were basically in their dorms um, working mostly al- on their own alone um, fending all their issues so that that was hard to see and and uh, i do miss mentoring mentoring them um, in person uh, you're not alone in that i know for sure how about you anil um i can't remember i think uh, just getting uh, through 2020 was a high point uh, <laughs> yes um, yes i um i got I, i think i got adjusted to just working in this mode uh, so it seems okay uh, it took a while to uh, like uh, I, i think some of the students it has been difficult uh, but it's uh, uh, like we meet several times a week so Uh, seems okay so anil you don't miss us miss you <laughs> no comment <laughs> yeah. yeah no comment so no, i guess uh, things have gone to a blur that uh, like it's like an uh, so i don't think very much uh, uh, just to go you know do one thing after the other so it's not a ideal and sustainable thing uh, and uh, i'm sure it'll uh, hit at some point but right uh, yeah i don't know it's just uh, but uh, uh the unfortunate thing is this is not really a covid thing our group has been uh, like during the time i've been with this group it's just been uh, uh, going the activity level has been going up and up so my conjecture would be even if there was no covid we would be just as busy uh so i don't know what to say we could commiserate together in person <laughs> <laughs> and ravi wouldn't have to write so many emails so <laughs> that would be good. You no, know, I I don't like making mistakes in email. I, I so I constantly edit them so that's that's why it takes me a long time. Uh but I should probably let it go just compose ones and let it go, right? Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, if there are any other closing thoughts uh what do you think uh, in terms of short term long term challenges but anything anything you want to say? Uh in my opinion the short term challenge is going to be getting vaccines to people. yeah that the population i think the the longer term um I, I, we need to develop better strategies for containing diseases and also educating the population i think yeah, initially uh, i think the public did not expect this to happen so they were at least they have not told that this can be very serious so take precautions right from the beginning so educating the global population is going to be a real challenge i think uh, yeah it's so, uh, second what are we saying uh, maybe the other uh, thing for uh, as as a group uh, i think would be a good thing to reflect uh, whether like like get to a steady state which is more sustainable all right everybody thanks for joining us we really appreciate it well we will certainly reach out to you in the future for a little deeper dive into the technical aspect thank you yeah, have a nice day bye all right we'll see you later all right that's it for this episode of covid chasers Subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, go to our website, biocomplexity.virginia.edu forward slash NSSAC, NSAC. Or follow us on Twitter, 
at UVA underscore NSAC. Stay safe and see you next time. On the next episode of COVID Chases. That's when you leave things to free market and market economy is like, okay, you know, let the price adjust to demand and supply. And... Do you get more variety if you're together or not? Like, I have a sense that you would. 